This is Unfiltered, episode 250 for Wednesday, September 6th, 2017. Special edition! Unfilter episode 250. Reclaiming my time. It's just me this week. Mr. Chase is out with a personal appointment, and uh, we're recording at a very odd, awkward time. It's weird times here. It's weird times here in the studio, actually, because not only is my buddy Chase not here, and not only is this at a weird recording time, but Washington State is engulfed in smoke. It's weirdly yellow here. Super yellow, super oranges. It's very strange. People are walking around like they've had too much smoke. I'm in the grocery store. I'm, this is not even made up. I'm in the grocery store, and people are bumping into each other. Like, they go into the grocery store, and all of a sudden, it's so bright, they start bumping into each other. <laughs> like, like, they're like, oh, sorry, I, I just didn't... Uh, they're not paying attention. Everybody's a little dazed and confused. Although we could have it much worse with all that's going on. This isn't going to be the unfiltered weather edition this week, though. No, we have many things like we always, always do to get into. We're going to start with cyber. We'll talk a little bit about DACA, the Dreamers. I definitely want to spend some time on North Korea as well as end this whole thing on a high note. And we have a great overtime as well. But let's start with cyber. The news is really focused this week on the weather. And, and, and rightfully so. There's a real human story there. But during all of this, there's a major, major, major story happening that is probably applicable to our audience's interests that involves WikiLeaks. First of all, since we got together last, WikiLeaks was knocked offline. Twitter going dark once again overnight at the same time that WikiLeaks reported a cyber attack on its email publication servers. This after WikiLeaks published the latest trove of DNC emails. Oh, just a side mention. The outage lasted for just a couple minutes and then the sites were back online soon after. But you may recall other popular websites were taken down in a similar attack just last month. There's some interesting details that came out in these WikiLeaks. I'll have a link in the show notes. One of them is an email from the Podesta batch where they're discussing having leverage over Bernie and because they have this leverage to have him stop talking about Hillary hustling for cash. And they talk about going through another political ally, a Democrat who backed Bernie early on and, uh, but is a longtime Democrat. It makes sense, too. When I, when I saw this guy's name, I thought, oh, of course, Peter Welch. He was an early Bernie backer, but he's a longtime good old boy Democrat. And so he was a conduit for the Clinton campaign to Sanders. And they talk about in this email exchange, they talk about, do we need to go through Welch or could you reach out to Sanders directly now at this point? Essentially imply now that we have a dialogue going. And they say they obviously have leverage over Sanders, <laughs> whatever that means. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting that WikiLeaks was brought down when those emails were released, don't you think? 
Don't you think that? Speaking of uh, leaks and emails, there's also another major revelation regarding emails. A fascinating twist tonight on the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Senate Republicans say they have evidence that then-FBI Director James Comey came to his conclusions on the Clinton case long before all the facts were in about Clinton's mishandling of classified information. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge is here tonight to explain. Good evening, Catherine. Isn't it amazing what we learn from emails? Isn't this really something? So this is actually significant. So we're going to go ahead and just roll right into it. Catherine does a pretty good summary of it. If you are a supporter and grab the sink, we have a dozen other clips that also cover the story. I went with this one because, well, Catherine Heritage does a good job of just punching it out. Good evening, Catherine. Well, thank you, Brett. According to senior Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee, FBI records indicate that former director James Comey drafted a conclusion apparently exonerating Hillary Clinton in the email case two months before the investigation was over and before the FBI interviewed Clinton aide Cheryl Mills, IT specialist Brian Pagliano, and Clinton herself. So that's kind of interesting since those are major key players. Of course, Hillary, the IT guy, who uh, I think wasn't this the guy that they tracked down to later had a Reddit account asking how to, how to clear track. Uh, I can't remember the details, but it was something like uh, clear out an email server or something for VIP, very VIPs. <laughs> uh, and of course, Cheryl Mills, longtime Clinton ally, who I believe ended up getting immunity before she testified. So before they'd ever granted her immunity, before they'd ever heard from her, he started writing this exoneration later, letter. That, that's not good. That is that is that is not due process. That is Cheryl Mills, no. IT specialist that's, Brian. That's Pe- grounds for firing. Agliano and Clinton herself. The FBI transcripts from interviews with two senior Comey aides are now coming to light after a records request from the Republican leaders on the Senate committee. They said it appears that in April or early May 2016, Comey had decided against criminal charges before 17 interviews were complete. Writing to the FBI, the senators added, conclusion first, fact gathering second. That's no way to run an investigation. The FBI should be held to a higher standard. After he was fired by President Trump, Comey told Congress his old boss, Loretta Lynch, was the one who had politicized the email case. Was your decision influenced by the attorney general's tarmac meeting with the former president, Bill Clinton? Yes, in in a ultimately a conclusive way. Were there other things that contributed to that that you can describe in an open session? At one point, the attorney general had directed me not to call it an investigation, but instead to call it a matter. But the new timeline shows Comey was drafting his statement even before the tarmac meeting. And this finding comes just one day after the FBI said it denied requests for Clinton's emails, citing a lack of interest, Brett. We'll continue to follow this. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if that necessarily conflicts with what Comey testified. He may have just had knowledge of the way the cards were stacked. So I, I don't know about that last part. Um, but, but it's interesting. I think, I think what it shows is that Comey knew all along that she was going to get out of it. I think that's probably what it shows. And then there's one last story here. The top German leader of Chancellor Angela Merkel's Conservative Party has claimed on Monday that her website was hit by thousands of cyber attacks. Yeah, so Merkel's site is uh, hacked and attacked, as they put it. <laughs> and of course, you know who they blame, right? And voiced concerns that Moscow could interfere in the September 24th national election. In- right, of course, it's Russians. In fact, if you ask probably some of our German audience, they'd say, of course it's the Russians. Of course. Or maybe even some of our European audience. It's a foregone conclusion. And it's, it's ridiculous that I'd even question it. 
They start the conversation at a totally different place because of what's happened here in the States, even though nothing's been proven yet. <laughs> uh, hmm. And so now Germany's uh, well into the hype. And of course, it's because Merkel's running for president. Now let's, or chancellor, and let's talk about Trump a little bit. And let's start with the good things about Trump. And then we're going to whittle our way down the list a little bit here. <laughs> Alex, it's just on Glenn, can you at least talk about the timeline here? You've got these states that have said September 5th is when they will begin to do this court action. That's obviously the Tuesday after Labor Day. So does that mean that some decision will be coming down tomorrow? I want to go ahead and jump ahead here. So this press conference, there's a bit of a bombshell dropped here. Again, that hasn't been fully reviewed and vetted and decided. And just one more on Harvey, Sarah. There's obviously been a huge outpouring of support from people all around the country for the victims of Harvey. You've seen people lining up to volunteer. You've seen people donating tens of millions of dollars. Can you speak to what the president and his family have done regarding donation for Harvey Relief? This seems like a loaded question that they maybe not... Maybe, maybe wouldn't have asked the Obamas and maybe not Bush. Can you speak to what the president and his family have done regarding donation for Harvey Relief personally? Uh, yes, I can. I uh, had a chance to speak directly with the president earlier, and I'm happy to tell you that he is um, would like to join in the efforts that a lot of the people that we've seen across this country do. Um, and he's pledging a million dollars of uh, oh. personal money to the fund. And he's actually asked uh, that I check with the folks in this room. What? Since you uh, are very uh, good at research and have been what? doing a lot of reporting into the groups and organizations that are best and most effective in helping and providing aid. And he'd love some suggestions from the folks here. And I'd be happy to take those if any of you have them. I'm not sure what the hell that was. What the hell was that? It was some sort of weird ass kissing to the press that uh, I had I, never seen that from the administration. It was just sort of weird. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. I, I just felt it was weird. There's another moment uh, that with uh, Sanders that was a little abrupt. And uh, this will probably kick off our next topic. I'll take your questions. John. Um, Sarah, one question that we're unanswered today was uh, some 359 uh, members of the DACA program uh, enlisted in the U.S. Army in 2016. Uh, Their tour of duty would run standard four years, I would assume, but their DACA status would only last two years. If there's no fix by Congress before March the 5th, do you know what will happen to those people? Will they become ineligible to remain in the military or whether it be special dispensation? Is that have, worked out? We have confidence that Congress is going to step up and do their job. This is something that needs to be fi- fixed legislatively, and we have confidence that they're going to do that, and we stand uh, ready and willing to work with them in order to accomplish uh, responsible immigration reform, and that would include uh, DACA is certainly part of that process. Okay, let's start talking about DACA. So they're using it. If you, I don't know if you picked it up there, but the clock is ticking now. They're using this situation to force Congress's hand. Let's back up a little bit, though. President Trump's decision announced today to end DACA, President Obama's temporary protection for young undocumented immigrants. 800,000 or more people brought here as children. Many of them have spent their whole lives in America. This is the only country many have known. Here's what the president had to say about them late today. I have a great heart for the folks we're talking about, a great love for them. And people think in terms of children, but they're really young adults. Uh, I have a love for these people, and hopefully now Congress will be able to help them and do it properly. 
he loves them, he said. Well, today the president showed his love by putting the fate of all these people in the hands of Congress, people who not only could not pass the DREAM Act, which would have covered them years ago, but as CNN's Jake Tapper put it today, could not agree on what to have for lunch. The president passed the buck to Congress while offering no ideas of his own for what lawmakers should do, which is not surprising given the president's track record so far, but it does run counter to the way he portrayed himself during the campaign. Back then, he was short on details, but seemed to claim to have a plan. We are going to deal with DACA with heart. The DACA situation is a very, very, it's a very difficult thing for me because, you know, I love these kids. I, I love kids. The Dreamers be worried. We love the Dreamers. This is, uh, this is such an interesting strategy he's taking with this. I don't know how else. To, I, should, I should come up with another way to describe it. A descriptor besides interesting. Uh, this is a surprising strategy. I did not expect we love the dreamers to be the strategy. According to all of our polling, it's popular and there is a lot of bipartisan support for it, especially in agriculture states and other states, which relies heavily on, on a lot of these people. Now, there is a big economy argument to be made here, one that I think Trump would probably listen to. Yeah, it's it, it, you just have to look at, at who's for ending it. And you go right back to um, a, a fairly small uh, uh, percentage of the country, but a vocal one. And All right. So is it racist? Is that why we're ending DACA? Is it because America is now run by racists? Is that why? Hmm. Some say no. Some say Trump is actually doing the right thing. President Trump is 100% correct in scrapping DACA. You hear me? 100% correct. But it seems that we're unable to find out the reasons why that fact is so and why he is correct because, as usual, the American public, led by its Ted Baxter sock puppet echo chamber, cookie cutter, playbook group of apparatchik idiots are focusing on the humanitarian part of something. This is why it's difficult for me to talk about the story, because the media has focused so much on the people losing their jobs, uh, nurses, Apple employees, everybody that's part of the community, been there their whole lives. The human side of it is genuinely tragic. And so it it's a perfect thing to focus on. And it allows you to not focus on some other aspects of this. Making it out that Trump is a monster. And there are people who never cared about anything involving immigration. Dreamers. Never knew about it. Didn't care about it. Weren't concerned with it. But because it's about Trump... And because anything that deals with the idea, with the trope and the meme and the idea that he's cruel, they're jumping on board. Then we have other people who are saying, he's great. That's why I think Trump's doing the, uh, we love the dreamers. We love them. We have nothing but love to sort of push back against the cruel thing, which uh, I don't don't know if that is going to work at all. Let's talk about this, though. So what's happening here? What's changing is what they say is Obama's. Oh, oh, it was it's an, it was an Obama move. It was an Obama, but they never say the word executive action, do they? They don't, because it wasn't actually Obama. It was Janet Napolitano, and she was announcing deferred action process for young people, who are now going to be low enforcement priorities. And this was a series of inter 
Department memos that Janet Napolitano wrote that essentially established this DACA, DACA that we all talk about now. It wasn't an Obama executive order. It wasn't an act of Congress, which is what it should have been. It was Secretary Napolitano from the Homeland Security Department, from DHS. So it's hard for me, because I want to talk about the human side of this story. But it seems like the original sin was Obama's decision to roll with this. I think that's it, because if you're framing it as Obama, it's not an executive act. It would have to have been an administrative policy, right? Is that what, the, is that what we're to take from this? Because I don't, otherwise I don't see how this is an Obama versus Trump thing. This would be an Napolitano thing. And it would seem to be that then the mistake would be that it was an Napolitano memo versus an act of Congress, which is a much bigger conversation. But we're not having that conversation. We're having the Obama versus Trump conversation. So if this, is what, if this was some sort of Obama wish that Napolitano took action in, I guess I could see that framing. But it seems like it's all in effort to avoid that conversation. Now, your good friend, the president of uh, Justice Watch or Judicial Watch, that's what it is, Judicial Watch, has been fighting to get this rolled back for a while. Here's their side. I'm not taking a side on this. I want to make this clear. I, I have to just sit back and sort of watch how this thing plays out and read more about it. But I feel like no one is covering the other side of this. So I want to give it some airtime. Hi, I'm Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch President, and I can tell you that Judicial Watch is really pleased today by President Trump's announcement through his Attorney General Jeff Sessions that he will rescind President Obama's illegal alien amnesty known as DACA. This policy was rejected repeatedly by Congress, and rather than follow the Constitution and the rule of law, President Obama unilaterally granted illegal alien amnesty to 800,000 individuals. We're pleased that the administration will finally put this to arrest within at least six months. And Judicial Watch is uh, pleased to highlight the fact that it's been battling this issue uh, for years. We exposed, for instance, how President Obama's administration bypassed security background checks. You might remember that story. And quote, lean and light procedures. Do you remember that a little bit, ringing some bells? To grant amnesty to these illegal aliens contrary to their promises to the American public that there'd be a thorough vetting. And so as a result, we can be sure that there are many people who have this amnesty who don't deserve it. And of course, given the fact they're illegal aliens, they should be subject to the rule of law the way anyone else would be. So we're pleased by this step forward on behalf of the rule of law and a restoration in part of the balance constitutionally between the executive branch and the legislature. Thank you. That's their argument. That's the people that are for this. Uh, you can argue the human side of it, obviously, but I just thought maybe we'd give that some airtime. And I'd like to hear your thoughts about it. I'd really like to hear your thoughts about that, actually. I'd really like to hear it, especially if you're in Club 33. I'd really like to hear that. Uh, now, I want to shift gears to North Korea because uh, even though I thought we'd be maybe putting the story into the overtime, events keep pushing it back up into the main show. CBS News senior national security contributor Michael Morell was acting and deputy director of the CIA. He joins us from Washington this morning. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, so a hydrogen bomb, as has been noted, is much more dangerous, um, much more powerful. First of all, do you believe it was a hydrogen bomb? And if it is, should we be surprised? 
Jeff, um, this was about 10 times stronger than the previous tests. Um, hydrogen bombs are um, typically 10 to 100 times stronger than an atomic bomb, so it's at the lower end. Um, our intelligence community will be able to determine whether it was a hydrogen bomb. Probably too early, though, to, uh, to say with certainty. But are you, would you be surprised if it is at this no, point? No, Jeff, um, not at all. All right, let's, let's, let's stop. Let's stop and let's back up and, and let's talk about what's going on here. Let's talk about this test and give you a little context from last week's episode. Major Garrett is at the White House where the Trump administration is warning North Korea of a massive military response to any threat. Major, good morning. Good morning. The sense that both nations are on a collision course is quite simply unmistakable. North Korea keeps moving toward a nuclear weapon capable of reaching the continental United States. And in a statement released here at the White House yesterday, President Trump said all assets are at his disposal, including the vast U.S. nuclear arsenal. North Korea's successful test of an alleged hydrogen bomb, far more powerful than the atomic bombs at the dawn of the nuclear age, brought a stern warning from Defense Secretary James Mattis. Any threat to the United States or its territories, including Guam, uh, or our allies, will be met with a massive military response, a response both effective and overwhelming. Mattis spoke after an emergency national security meeting at the White House and outlined every military option. We are not looking to the total annihilation of a country, namely North Korea. Before the meeting, President Trump attended church for the National Day of Prayer for Hurricane Harvey and was asked if he would attack North Korea. We'll see. South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham described the conflict to come if economic pressure or diplomacy fail. I'm assuming we drop one bomb, he fires at South Korea and maybe Japan. Let me tell you how... Japan? Did he just say Japan? Hold on one sec. At South Korea and maybe Japan. (laughs) He did say (laughs) Japan. Let me tell you how the war ends. It ends with his utter destruction. Thousands of people could be killed or maimed. Why are they going to Lindsay for these quotes? Have you... I don't know if we've played enough of these, but I've noticed that they're, they're constantly going to Lindsay for the tough talk on North Korea. It makes me feel like maybe he's had a conversation with Trump and he's going to play hardball here. Uh, I'm not sure, but he's not the right one. It ends with his utter destruction. Maybe he just loves war, guys. Maybe that's what it is. Thousands of people could be killed. He does sound like he's getting a little turned on right now. He does. This is like his... He never really sounds as good and confident as he does is when he's talking about innocent civilians getting murdered. Utter destruction. Thousands of people could be killed yeah. or maimed. That's his zone right there. That's the Lindsey Graham's, that's his real power zone. Thousands of people could be killed or maimed. Yeah. Mr. Trump said North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un has become a great threat and embarrassment to China. He added, South Korea's talk of appeasement will not work. This behavior is completely unacceptable. Let's stop here because I think you get the backstory now of what's happened since we've talked. And all of this is just media hype. It's rhetoric back and forth. But there is some conversations that could dramatically escalate things. Korea is currently eyeing a possible redeployment of U.S. nuclear weapons. South Korea. Sorry, that got cut off a little bit there. South Korea is... On its territory, which, if approved, would bring the military buildup around North Korea to the highest level. We would need to find realistic countermeasures by reviewing all applicable military options. In the- now, they could be... This is uh, this is the South Korean uh, defense minister. Uh, Moon is his first name. That's kind of awesome. 
he could be talking tough just to try to scare Kim. That could be totally what's happening. Kim Jong. That, um, honestly, I, I, I accept that. But maybe they are seriously considering deploying nukes around the border. Applicable military options in the serious security situation with North Korea's nuclear and missile threats. But the question is, will this drastic move have the desired effect of making North Korea back down? Well, if the past few months have taught us anything, no. But Pyongyang and Washington are nowhere near to dialing their saber-rattling back, only raising the stakes higher and higher. Kim Jong-un shows no such understanding. His abusive use of missiles and his nuclear threats show that he is begging for war. Boy, it really sounds hypocritical when we say it, doesn't it? When the U.S., so they pop off a few dozen missiles, and then we get all up in their face about their abusive use of missiles. Meanwhile, we rain missiles down upon places like Yemen. It's it's so it's so rich. It's so rich. I, <laughs> you can imagine how easy it is for these dictators to spin a narrative around the boogeyman that is the United States, because it's like we give them their own lines, <laughs> you know, and. Speaking of one of these uh, presidents that takes advantage of this, Putin. Putin is, uh, he's trying to go public. He doesn't, he doesn't often make a big stink about these kinds of things. But when he does, he really tries to do it in a way that gets people's attention. Now, the Russian president says that sanctions and mounting pressure will not solve the North Korea crisis, as Pyongyang feels it is being backed into a corner. Vladimir Putin made the comments after speaking with South Korea's leader at the Eastern Economic Forum in the Russian city of Vladivostok. From there, here's Daniel Hawkins. This forum is primarily a, uh, a place for business and trade interests to uh, find common ground. But as you say, there's only been one thing really hanging over the forum, one key thing on the agenda, and that's been the uh, Korean crisis, the crisis on the Korean Peninsula. And uh, President Putin and Moon Jae-in of South Korea have now concluded their talks. They've done a joint uh, press conference where Putin, uh, again, as uh, Russia's position has been uh, over the last weeks and months, that diplomacy negotiation was the only way long-term to solve this crisis. And we know from uh, clips uh, last week that it's also the position of the CIA. So I have to imagine some of this is just tough rhetoric. It's just being tough to try to back them down, to get them into a negotiating position. But it seems to continually escalate, so we keep watching it. Let's take a moment. Let's chill out with the high note. Back now at 742 with our special series, Red, White, and Green, How America is Going to Pot. California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana. That was back in 1996. And in a few months... I already hate this. I already hate this. It feels so old. It feels so out of touch. Recreational use will be legal there as well. And that's got a lot of people wondering how the state's wine country will be impacted. What? Here's NBC's Joe Fryer. How the wine country? What? The vineyards roll for miles along the rustic roads of Sonoma County. California's famous reds and whites, the fruit heavy on the vine in late summer. This is the Skittles Blue Dream. Mm. But these days, another crop, cannabis, is also ready for harvest just down the road. Wine and cannabis go well together and they, they, they have for a long time. <laughs> And just as wineries advertise their tours and tasting rooms, marijuana entrepreneurs are looking to do the same. Cannabis tours have definitely been happening somewhat underground for years. And now we're looking at and we're exploring how can uh, cannabis tourism responsibly 
uh, integrate into Sonoma County's culture. Erin Gore is married to a winemaker, but her business is pot, organic edibles designed for a calming high. She's optimistic that wine and weed can appeal to the same clientele. Wow, talk about a talk about an interesting couple of married. So, so you got the you got the husband who has a winery, and then the, the I got to hear this again. Responsibly. Uh, integrate into Sonoma County's culture. Erin Gore is married to a winemaker, but that's incredible. What a what a wow! Her business is pot. They they are like this. They're they're making their entire living off of off of charging people for pot and wine. It's just remarkable. Organic edibles designed for a calming high. She's optimistic that wine and weed can appeal to the same clientele. From a marketing opportunity and consumer point of view, we see them being very collaborative. It's a beautiful sativa. Look at this one. Yeah, it's got some great piney scents to it. The nose is amazing on it. Just like wine lovers want to know how their favorite Pinot Noirs are made. We're going to see the same phenomenon in cannabis. I agree. I, I completely agree. Where people are going to know where Fiddler's Greens are farmed or know the Garden Society farms in Mendocino. And they're going to care about the smell and the way it looks. Well, they already do. This is just going to, average consumers are going to start caring. In Northern California, private wine and weed dinners have become popular, but some winemakers see potential areas of conflict. I see uh, cannabis production as a direct competitor for workers. Vineyard owner Kath- oh, no. Kathleen Inman says she already has trouble finding enough pickers to harvest her grapes. She supports legalized marijuana but says it's going to make the problem even worse. Oh, we just don't have enough people to hire. We just, there's, it's going to bring too many new jobs. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's going to convince people. That's going to convince people. I tell you, it is one of the biggest industries in the States. It's going to make a huge difference. And there's not a lot of industries right now that are, are kind of, that to check all these boxes. And I've been saying I've been saying since 2012 on this show that the big business for all of this stuff isn't the like the joints that they always, these big gnarly joints that they always show people smoking it's not that stuff it's the edibles it's the stuff that looks tasty and easy. Well good morning. I'm inside a warehouse district where down the street from the post office around the corner from a sports park and a nature conservancy which just goes to show how mainstream all of this is. I'll- this guy is really excited about this. Listen to the fact there's a sign here that says do not enter. We have permission to go inside this morning. Here we are inside a commercial kitchen. And this looks like any commercial kitchen in America, except for one thing. Here they cook with marijuana. He loves doing this story. This guy is so... Did you hear the way he said marijuana? They cook with marijuana. That's great. On a late summer evening in northern Colorado, a busload of people arrived for a farm-to-table dinner. Trout canapes, heirloom tomato salad, and Wagyu tri-tip. All paired with a side of cannabis. Got a few pre-rolls. You knew it was coming. Pop that open. Join in there. People already are interested in having a connection with the food, so why not have that connection with the cannabis as well? It's no secret marijuana is no longer a budding business. It's booming. Sales in North America totaled $6.7 billion in 2016, an unprecedented 30% increase. There's definitely greater acceptance. 91% of Americans are in favor of medical cannabis. And when we look at adult use cannabis, over 60% of Americans believe that it should be legalized. So, you know, that's a sea change from where we were 
you know, even 10, 20 years ago. Today, eight states and the District of Columbia have given recreational marijuana the green light. This is like a checkbox thing. Like when you are doing a piece on cannabis, you're required to uh, go through all the states that have legalized. I guess, like, have you ever noticed how many of these pieces do this? And I leave it in there because I figure people listening back five years from now, or even two years from now, like this actually will be relevant. It'll give them context. But it's it's funny how they always, maybe that's why they do it. I No, I, I don't think so. I, I think they all are just a bunch of dicks. Have given recreational marijuana the green light. 29 states in the District of Columbia approve use for medical reasons. And as voters in more states embrace legalization, research shows the industry could see sales top $20 billion by 2021, a growth rate that's both faster and bigger than the dot com era. And this is already medicated as well. We're pouring the gummies into the molds. And with smoking rates dropping across the country, cannabis companies like Dixie Elixirs are building upon the demand, especially from older customers in search of alternative forms. This is not your father's pot brownie. This is what I've been saying. This is my Red Book prediction right here. The flavor profiles, the ingredients of the products, um, all of that is becoming much more uh, high-end. There are infused artisanal chocolates with 80% cacao, mints to match your mood, and gummies dialed in for a customer's day. Hash oil mixed into your agave. The growing kitchen in Boulder farms its wow. own organic, pesticide-free cannabis and ingredients. Organic, pesticide-free. They're using the buzz terms. They're really getting it. Cannabis and ingredients. The company specializes in a growing trend. Microdoses for the edibles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to talk about this on the show. So this microdosing thing, uh, it's, it's big with the Silicon Valley execs, and it's big in Silicon Valley, the microdosing of cannabis. And it's, um, you know... It's a big, I guess it's, it's, why not make a product for that market? If, if it's something people think works for them, why not make it? Microdoses for the edibles. You want the chill pills? Eight, eight chill pills. Ready? It helps with my sleep apnea. For many people, 10 milligrams or 100 milligrams is significantly more than is necessary. And the best way to find that out is to start low and go slow. We're going to create food for people who don't smoke. Recreational and medical marijuana users now even learning to create their own edibles. What the water does, it kind of stops the cooking process of the bud. In Colorado, sales of edibles more than tripled from 17 million in the first quarter of 2014, when the state first allowed recreational marijuana use, to 53 million in the third quarter of 2016. This concerns watchdogs who say there are dangers with sweet potent edibles. Oh, the children. Our concern is that the creativity around the marijuana market um, will continue to normalize marijuana consumption children. for kids. Yes. And what we do know yes. is that the impact yes. on the adolescent brain yeah. is real. Yeah. As the government and the marijuana industry work to step up safety regulations, the canna connoisseur and the canna curious are sitting down to whole new experiences. Cheers. Cheers. And back here in the kitchen, uh, we've got a tray of chocolates that have just been made. That's worth, Ariel says, about $250. A full rack worth $2,500. And all of this must be consumed, of course, in Colorado, the way the current laws are. All of these sorts of products cannot be transported out of state. Guys? Yeah, that's the other thing that's super unique is some of this stuff is only in the state. These brands, these companies, these businesses... They're all just inside their state border. And when you look at the amount of detail they put into these things, you could only imagine what will happen 
if that border breaks down and they can start selling nationally. Now, guys, this is a special edition of the show because I'm out of here early this week, so that way I can be there when my kids get off the bus for their first day of school for the new year. It's crazy. Mr. Chase will be back from his on-assignment appointment next week as well, so it should be back to regular show. To, ah, the regular. Good show. Regular show. We should be back to our regular show, 251, next week, but don't go anywhere. The overtime is nigh, and there's more coming up. But if you do have to part, I understand not all of us enjoy dessert. I leave you with a few parting things. Go follow Mr. Chase, even though he's not here, at Nunes on the Twitter. I'm at Chris L-A-S. And go check out the vlog, youtube.com slash Chris Fisher, where I just posted about my trip to New York at the end of the month, which means we will have some scheduling, you know, well... Improvs. Let's just say that. We're going to improv the schedule a little bit towards the end of the month. We'll tell you more as I know more, okay? But you can you can find out more on my vlog, youtube.com slash chrisfisher. Thanks to our patrons. Thank you for being here. I'll see you right back here next week. Vitas, System T, hey buddy, Michael, Jeremy, Traeger, I think, I'm going to go with Traeger, Traeger, uh, I, I got to mess up one, right? Of course you got Graham Pete, and Nolan, Benjamin Grimm, Michael K, and Budgie Smuggler, what? Thank you for being our new patrons over at patreon.com slash unfilter for making this show possible. This segment's dedicated to you, to our supporters, to our future supporters. We got more to get into. Now, normally I start with Nancy. Always got the old Nancy segment. We've had it going for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's been a real, real payoff. I mean, like, who knew, right? Old Nancy's always got something to contribute. Well, this week, I don't have anything directly outrageous from Nancy herself because uh, she's too busy meeting with the enemy probably know pretty much at the end of this meeting or the meetings that we'll be having over a short period of time. But our country uh, has a lot of great assets and we have some liabilities that we have to work out. So we'll see if we can do that. Uh, I appreciate everybody being here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Nancy. Appreciate it very much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. She was uh, getting along with Trump. In fact, uh, this week she was in an interview. She said, American voters don't want us here. Just complain about Trump. Oh, really? Oh, where's that been? Where's that been? Although I do love to fan, I do love to um, feature, 
feature. Let's go with that. Let's say feature. We'll say feature, not ridicule. We'll say feature the people around the rotting Democrat establishment business party like Nancy Pelosi. These people that prop them up and keep them in power, I think, are often worth spending a little time analyzing like those people on The View. Also from the news media. I think the media is supposed to not report on the fact that 95% of what he says is a lie. 95% of what he says is a lie. 95%. Is a lie? Well, that's... Oh, and then they're all going to clap that. And look at, look at, she's, she's like, she's got, you know, you got to give it to Huckabee Sanders here, Sarah. She's got, uh, she's got like a good game face, a good poker face. She's laughing. She's smiling. Uh, Joy Behar, on the other hand, has like some sort of weird demonic laser focus, and then her co-hosts are just sipping coffee and not paying attention. What? Nothing? I think- the media is supposed to not report on the fact that 95% of what he says is a lie? Well, that's... That that is a, a that is you are doing exactly what we're talking about and pushing a false narrative. No, it's ninety five percent of what the president says politifact. is not a lot. It's from politifact well, politica. Well, it's from politica. Well, if it's from politifact, it is other other outlets that say it. Five percent of his statements are true. Five percent. That's just it. it. And you, I feel for you. I feel sorry for you that you have. Oh, she feels for Sarah. She feels sorry for Sarah. I feel for you. I feel sorry for you. She feels sorry for Sarah. She, oh, Joy, you, you're, you're such a saint. You're such a saint. Uh, so let's talk about another Sanders. Uh, not Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but Bernie Sanders. He's sick and tired. The book is a guide. It is a message. But it begs a question, sir. Who is the messenger? God, Cuomo is becoming, Cuomo here is becoming such a douche. Like, this guy is so full of himself. You've, if you've been watching the show for a while, we've watched him really just turn into this cocksured, arrogant news anchor. He's a news actor, and he doesn't show respect. Who is the warrior of the light to bring this to the American people and make it happen? We have an election some years from now. You'll have your midterms, and you'll have your presidential election. You got two schools of thought. One is, it's got to be the guy on the cover. It's got to be Bernie. Then there's another school of thought that can't be Bernie. Bernie too old. What does Bernie Sanders say? Bernie is too old. What does Bernie Sanders say to that? What a kind of a... Uh, uh, some say Bernie Sanders is too old. What does Bernie Sanders say? This is how this man is talking right now. Can't be Bernie. Bernie too old. What does Bernie Sanders say? Are you the messenger for this message? Well, there is, there is a third school of thought, Chris, and that is that the media never, ever gives up. And instead of focusing on real issues, they keep talking about never-ending campaigns. Chris, honestly, you've heard me say this to you before. Yeah, and I've never Media liked the answer. Media wants to know who's going to oh, run I've when. never liked the answer. Oh, I've never liked, liked the answer. Oh, I never liked you're it. Wrong. It matters you who runs. Wrong. It matters who fights the fight. Of course it matters. It matters. Oh. Nobody's saying it doesn't. I love how you just throw these arbitrary straw man arguments out there to justify never letting this issue go. Of course, it, Chris, of course it matters who runs. But we don't have to have never-ending elections. We just had an election six months ago. It never ends. You know, Thank in the you. UK, Thank they take you. two months to elect their government. Thank Canada, you. the same. All over the world, we never stop elections. People are sick and tired of it. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes. Yes, they are. They want me to go back to Washington to deal with climate change, 
to deal with health care, to deal. I want you to deal with that leverage that the, apparently the Clinton cam- campaign has on you. That's that's what I want you to deal with. <laughs> Let's do a quick little uh, weather update here. We'll go to the weather center here in the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio to update you on the water situation in Houston. Days after Harvey's landfall in West Houston, the water is still rising. Thousands of evacuations ordered over the weekend. Everything is lost. Families pouring out as overflowing reservoirs are partially drained. We just started evacuating the kids, getting everybody out. That was our situation. Harvey is gone, but this region remains in peril. An estimated $180 billion in damage. Rebuilding will take years. But the Riggs family says the pain will last a lifetime. We have such great neighbors here. I mean, it's a great community. I'm a cancer survivor five years ago, yeah, 2013. And, um, you know, um, I guess I'm happy to be alive. With Houston getting back to work, businesses big and small, like this daycare, are trying to stay afloat. Our center is very important because the parents have got to get those kids back so they can get back to work. But roads and homes are underwater. In Houston alone, 75 schools suffered serious damage. Do you guys need some water? Cities like Beaumont are struggling to provide drinking water. This is a really serious situation, and of course it's spreading. Uh, My co-host, Michael Dominic, had to cancel this week's Coda Radio because he's evacuating his home in Florida, his brand new home. (laughs) I got a great series of emails from uh, listener Eric to The Unfilter Show, who's in Houston and has been talking about... Uh, he's in Belmont, actually. I think it was her Belmont, Be- Beaumont, probably is how you say it. I'm not obviously a Texas uh, native, but he's been sending me pictures and emails about the situation down there, and it's it's uh, it's really remarkable. And uh, I'll I'll try to make sure that we don't overcover it because there's plenty of coverage of it. But I'll also try to walk the line of not letting the story die once people start to forget about it. So I don't know how exactly I'm going to pull that off, but I uh, that is. My what my intention is with the Harvey story is I feel like there's plenty of coverage outside of the Unfilter show. People are there. There's some really good coverage. And of course, it's all the mainstream media wants to talk about right now. That time shall pass. And that's probably when it'll come back more into the purvey of the Unfilter show. While we're talking about this area, though, let's talk about some of the controversy around the Red Cross. When disaster strikes, Americans have come to expect donation campaigns by the American Red Cross. Please donate now to help people affected by Hurricane Harvey. But now there is a campaign against the massive aid organization. Hundreds of tweets like, don't give Red Cross your money. Very little, if any, goes to those that need it. The criticism mounting after a Red Cross executive interviewed on NPR couldn't say how much would go to Texans. You don't know what proportion of the total amount is that relief. No, I really don't. In 2014, an NPR and ProPublica investigation found the Red Cross misstated how money is spent. After the devastating earthquake in Haiti, a report by Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley found one quarter of Red Cross donations went to administrative costs. The Red Cross should be responsible to make sure they're very transparent. The Red Cross disputes the critical reports and today promised 91 cents of every dollar would go to victims. We are going to make sure that the, this money is spent to help people with food, with shelter, with water. The watchdog group Charity Watch gives the Red Cross a B-plus overall. They can do the heavy lifting at the scale that community organizations and churches and some of the other nonprofits are not going to be able to, going to offer 
According to the Red Cross, it has already served more than 250,000 meals in Texas and opened over 240 shelters. You want a blanket while you're sleeping? A charity in the midst of providing disaster relief now fighting a different kind of storm. You know, it is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame that we have to even question it. I mean, because you really don't know this in this day and age, do you? Uh, you really have to question it. There's also this situation in Utah. I feel like it's worth talking about because it's going to change a few things. It's going to have consequences. It already has. Screams, pleas, and protests inside an emergency room. The cries of a nurse handcuffed, captured by hospital and police cameras. Then walk. The video that may have been edited shows University of Utah hospital nurse Alex Wubbles being confronted by two Salt Lake City police officers in July. My heart was pounding and I had red flags. I had, my flags were already waving for minutes. Wubbles says Detective Jeff Payne demanded a blood sample from a truck driver severely burned and unconscious after a fiery crash caused by another car fleeing police. So the reason why that was odd is because that doesn't really give the cop probable cause. And something the cop admitted to later on his vest camera, you know, his body cam, he admitted to later that he didn't realize that, oh, they'd already drawn blood when they brought him in, which of course they had. Of course they had. So they could have gotten a warrant if they had proper need. They didn't ha- he didn't have to force the issue. He didn't... It, it, it was there was a legal path for him to get that information, and because he was ignorant of that, he pressed this whole thing. This was something that you guys agreed to with this hospital. Wubbles so objects, citing the hospital's policy that blood can't be taken without consent from the patient, a warrant, or a patient that is under arrest. That's when Detective Payne reacts. We're done. We're done. We're done here. Payne says she was interfering with the investigation and that his commanding officer told him to make an arrest. Today, the Salt Lake City Police Chief says he apologized to Wubbles and that Detective Payne has been placed on paid administrative leave. I want to be very clear. We take this very seriously. Wubbles was detained for about 20 minutes before being released. They're officers of the peace. Let me tell you what broke down here. And this is a fundamental problem, and it's a frame of mind the way the cops work. And it's, it's explained in, in body cam video that you can find on YouTube. I don't have a link for it, unfortunately. The cop's logic was, I'm going to get it now. And then if it turns out that I obtained this without due process, it is just simply discarded. It's rejected from the court. His, in his exact words, there is a civil process for it. There are civil protections, he said. As in, I'm going to get all the things I can possibly get. To hell with my legality. To hell with his privacy. To hell with the hospital's policies. Because I'm going to get this, and it turns out if we needed it, then we've got it. But if we don't need it, they'll, they have ways. You know, the court, they have, they have ways. Of course, it's ignorant of corruption, but what it also is ignorant of is the post-Snowden reality that we all live in, where the fact that the NSA or the CIA could be collecting this information this, the moment they have it. It might not get in court, doesn't mean it doesn't get observed. 
That was a difficult. I just I heard from a lot of you that were really upset about that story, so I wanted to cover it. I, however, have been more and more creeped out by Google recently. And a new article from The Intercept describes how one think tank fellow was fired from their post at the New America Foundation's Open Markets Initiative, which investigates corruption of public policy. The self-penned article by Zypher Teachout alleges that the work being done on open markets threatened Google's business interests when Eric Schmidt complained to Anne-Marie Slaughter, who runs New America. So joining me now to discuss this and more, investigative journalist Max Blumenthal. Hey, Max, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, first, can you break down for us what exactly happened at New America uh, and their project, uh, Open Markets, and how that, that is somehow a threat to, to Google the, and their parent company, Alphabet? Yeah, I mean, what happened at the New America Foundation, which is just down the street, which does do some decent work. I'm not going to trash the whole New America Foundation. It's, but, but it's what happens across the board in Beltway think tanks. It's a pay-for-play culture. Google had donated, I think, $23 million to the New America Foundation. Eric Schmidt, Google's CEO, had gotten a special um, Eric Schmidt Ideas Lab, and that's not what New York Magazine reported was Eric Schmidt's uh, soundproof $13 million bedroom that it referred to as a sex dungeon. It was actually (laughs) uh, supposedly an ideas lab. (laughs) Okay. Okay, let's go back. You know, I got to go back a little bit. Um, Eric Schmidt Ideas Lab, and that's not what New York Magazine reported was Eric Schmidt's uh, soundproof $13 million bedroom that it referred to as a sex dungeon. It was actually (laughs) uh, supposedly an ideas lab. And so you also had the Open Markets Initiative at the New America Foundation, which um, was heavily critical of big money in politics and especially of the role of Silicon Valley in kind of forming these monopolies and conglomerates and dominating public policy. I mean, Google has not only donated to the New America Foundation, but to over 130 NGOs and think tanks across the country through Eric Schmidt's personal foundation. So when the Open Markets Initiative um, actually supported the EU imposing penalties on Google for monopolizing Mm -hmm. antitrust penalties, which should be imposed in the U.S., Anne-Marie Slaughter, the head, the president of the New America Foundation, a very, um, you know, a person who served in the Cl- uh, under Hillary Clinton yeah, in the Obama administration. Say, we can talk a little bit about yeah, who she, w- she is and, and well, how she shaped U.S. foreign policy. Well, what she did was she actually fired Barry Lynn and the entire Open Markets Initiative and said, you are imperiling our donations. So Anne-Marie Slaughter personally represents this pay-for-play culture. Now, what we have to also look at about Anne-Marie Slaughter is how did she wind up at the New America Foundation at this major think tank, which is also funded by the State Department. Given her record, she is the author of the Responsibility to Protect Doctrine, which has justified interventions from Yugoslavia to Libya on the grounds that the U.S. military has a responsibility to protect civilians anywhere, except in Palestine, of course, wherever they're imperiled. And so Anne-Marie Slaughter was a huge influence on the Obama administration's uh, decision to intervene in Libya with NATO. Um, She proclaimed it a smashing success in late 2011. This should have been discrediting. She was working for Hillary Clinton. She has defended it consistently and also called for the intervention in Syria under the grounds, on the grounds of right to responsibility to protect. Don't you, do you recall also when Google uh, created that special search map uh, for Syria to find uh, where some of the uh, ISIS terrorists were when they also created the anti-ISIS search results when you would search to become um, corrupted, I guess? What's with Google taking these political positions? Am I being naive? But it seems extremely creepy to me. 
seems like out of all companies, Google should be the most politically agnostic. What do you think, chatroom? I wonder. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm too naive. I just, I remember when tech was so separate from politics, and I think that frames some of my thinking sometimes. I, I don't know. There's an interesting story uh, about a about a journalist, and I don't think it was a U.S. journalist, but the clip will go into this getting fired for basically laying out a a framework of how the CIA was running weapons to terrorists. And got fired. A Bulgarian reporter has spoken to RT after she says she was fired and interrogated for exposing an Azerbaijani state-run airline's involvement with international weapons shipments. On August 24th, Dilyana Gaitanshiva tweeted, quote, I've just got fired for telling the truth about weapons supplies for terrorists in Syria on diplomatic fights. Oh. Her story was published in the largest Bulgarian daily newspaper in circulation back in July. Since then, Bulgarian authorities have interrogated her, demanding she reveal her sources. So maybe this is why we don't hear about this very much. And she was eventually fired. Guy Tanshiva spoke with RT correspondent Anya Parampel and says her source is anonymous. Diliana, can you start by explaining what exactly your scoop concerning Silkway Air was and how it's tied towards the Middle East? In December of last year, I was uh, reporting on the Battle of Aleppo when the jihadists from Al-Nusra Front, designated as a terrorist organization by the United Nations, retreated from their positions. I got inside uh, nine underground warehouses. For- so these, this group, it was a declared terrorist group by the EN, by, by EN, <laughs> that's what I get for trying to read and talk, by the UN. And all of a sudden, they start retreating and going into underground bunkers. ...of heavy weapons with Bulgaria as uh, their country of origin. When I got back uh, in my home country, Bulgaria, I traced back uh, these shipments, and uh, it turned out that they are just a small part of a bigger international scheme involving the United States, uh, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, uh, many European countries, and Azerbaijan. Yeah, and it's not even a super sophisticated thing that she did here, guys. I want you to wrap your head around this for a second. It's not like she's some sort of international spy. <clears throat> she did journalism. She did journalism. So she's there. She sees, well, shit, this came from Bulgaria. I'm, I, I'm from Bulgaria. I, I'm, I'm Bulgarian. I can, I can go back there. I could look this up. So she does just that. She goes back there and she looks it up, and turns out it's tied to the CIA. It's not super hard, like, complicated investigative journalism here. I received uh, secret memos, uh, which uh, were a correspondence between the Bulgarian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and uh, the Azuri Embassy to Bulgaria with diplomatic notes for flights uh, uh, carrying weapons to uh, different locations around the world. Uh, I mean, Syria... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Yemen, Congo, Pakistan, Afghanistan. So, uh, Kim is Iraq. She should have mentioned Iraq. This is like this is like the pipeline of weapons. This is it. I'll explain in brief. Uh, different uh, private American companies chartered uh, Silkway Airlines to transport Eastern European weapons. So the government isn't booking the flights. They're not having, like, records of this entire uh, transportation of goods because private industry is booking the flights. And why wouldn't they? They're making so much money. Under a secret uh, CIA program 
for non-US standard weapons. So Sukhoi Airlines provided this service, diplomatic flights for weapons, because uh, diplomatic flights are exempt uh, um, of checks. Oh, isn't, isn't that loophole convenient? So they're diplomatic flights filled with guns. Um, uh, air bills and inspections. In this way, Sukhoi Airlines and uh, di- these diplomatic flights transported uh, tons of weapons to Syria, to Yemen, to Congo, to different uh, war zones around the world under the cover of diplomatic flights. Wow. Isn't that something? And then, of course, she writes up a whole story about it. Boom. Fired. <laughs> fired. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I've, you know, I've been watching so many clips from the uh, Harvey floods and there is something about Texans that is definitely unique. Fail. We now have some neighbors who live here. We have a gentleman who says he helped construct this levee today because he doesn't want to see his neighborhood go under a couple feet of water. If I can talk to you, sir. What was your first name again? My name is Seth Irwin. Okay, so Seth, you say you helped construct this levee and you feel confident it's not going to breach, uh, which is contradicting what the county is saying right now. Yeah, I don't I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, a couple of the guys were out here and we told them, you know, we're going to do what we can. They're trying to tell us all to get out. I mean, we've got 500 homes out here. We're not going to see it flood. So, I mean, we've got sandbags. Uh, the, pre- the pressure on this on this wood here is not is, is not enough to, 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 to push it over. We've been watching. We got stakes in the ground. We've been watching levels. It's dropping very slowly. Uh, as long as we don't get any more rain, I think we'll be good. Um, this is just a big ditch right here. This is not a this is not a river. So anyway, as long as we continue to uh, drop level, I think we'll be fine. Now, looking at this, you know, you see wood and sandbags. It looks like something that could fail, and you don't think it will. No, I mean we've we've got there's a lot of homes being constructed out here. We've got tractors removing these big piles of bricks. We've got we probably moved ten thousand bricks, and okay. we've got lots of material. I just. I just don't, I don't see it happening. Okay. Now, watch what happens as soon as the gun gets brought up. As soon as he says he's armed, no, we're good. Okay. Not on my watch, man. Well, thank you very much. So the county is urging you and your neighbors to get out, and you're going to stay. I'm staying. I'm, I, I live in a two-story house. I got 35 gallons of water. I got food for freaking two months or more, so uh, armed. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I right, want to bring you. in Danny. Danny. <laughs> uh, awkward, awkward. But that's, you know, you see a lot of that when you're watching the news, and it's, it's sort of great. There's also so many awful protests out there these days. This this kind of was uh, this is a good one. This was a protest. It was a march on Washington. So I guess that's a protest uh, to to protest Trump's plan to slash the budget for national park services, and they did it in a way that genuinely made me lull. Now, for you audio listeners here. What you have here is a bunch of activists in T-Rex costumes running across a Washington, D.C. lawn. And it's, it's kind of great. It's sort of the best way to... <laughs> it's nothing but a bunch of dinosaurs running across. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show this week. We'll be back next week with 251 there is some big stuff coming up on the calendar so stay tuned at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar thanks for being here i love your faces see you next week Hello.